0: Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. On today's show, Facebook apologizes for its actions in Myanmar and what happens when private equity owns a popular pizza chain. The first, Amazon HQ2 or HQ3 or HQ2.3 or, or, well, okay. So last year, Amazon announced it wanted to open a second headquarters, which would house around 50,000 employees, mostly white-collar jobs and engineering jobs. It also said that cities should bid for the honor, and they did, 238 of them to be exact. So some were large cities like Atlanta and Denver. Some were small, including a little regional consortium that actually includes my Massachusetts town of less than 10,000 people. Suffice to say, my town's bid didn't make the cut. But this past January, Amazon did publicly narrow the finalists down to 20. And over this past weekend, The Washington Post reported that it had settled on Crystal City a D.C. suburb in Northern Virginia. Then yesterday came two new pieces of news. First, the Wall Street Journal saying that Amazon might actually pick two HQ2s, namely because it didn't think it could find enough tech talent in a single market. And then the New York Times followed up by saying that the other site would be Long Island City in Queens. Now, we've said before on the podcast that the Amazon HQ2 process has been a PR masterstroke, getting everyone to not only talk about the company, but to talk about it in positive terms, like how picking city A or city B would really help with economic development, improve the local tech ecosystem, etc. But if the split news is right, the hype was pretty empty. So for starters, headquarters is a singular term. We should reiterate that over and over. It's a singular term, but we were willing to let Amazon slide on HQ2 until yesterday. Picking multiple sites, that's not HQ2 or HQ3. Those are just big satellite offices. Lots of companies have those and they don't garner Headlines. Second, Washington DC and New York City are already massive markets in which Amazon won't really make too much of an impact, particularly with the number of jobs halved from the original proposals. And finally, as we noted yesterday, We still don't know the specifics of what tax breaks or other incentives were offered to Amazon by officials who are on election ballots today. We won't find out until after they're already elected or kicked out of office. So the bottom line here, Amazon got what it wanted. The media did too, we got a good ongoing story. Smaller cities, though, wasted their time and arguably got taken for a ride. We'll go deeper on this in 15 seconds with Axios reporter Erica Pandey. But first, this. There is more news out there than ever before, but these days, it's harder than ever to find it and to know what to trust. Axios AM takes the effort out of getting smart by synthesizing the 10 stories that will drive the day and telling you why they matter. Subscribe at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the ProRata Podcast. We're joined now by Axios reporter Erica Pandey. For starters, why is Amazon, in your opinion, going with two HQ2s?
1: Well, I think that, you know, in in a tight labor market like this one, the chances of 50,000 skilled tech workers just sitting around in one city was zilch anyway. I mean, they had to have known that this was going to be some kind of regional or national or even international recruitment to fill this HQ2. But now, as we're getting down to the wire and they're looking specifically at markets, I think they're realizing that it's got to be split. The Journal reported that it's a lack of tech talent. And another reason to split would have been to kind of spread the love. I mean, when Amazon began this search last year, it was going to be exciting for cities like Charlotte and Columbus and Denver that could really have taken off with an anchor employer in town. But spreading the love between New York and D.C. doesn't really quite have the same ring to it.
0: No, not at all. I mean, wasn't that part of this, whether it was going to be the Midwest or a smaller tech city like Charlotte, wasn't that part of the point here that Amazon kind of originally portrayed this as not philanthropic, but that there was going to be a community benefit here? I mean, D.C. and New York City don't need the jobs. They don't need the tech jobs.
1: Absolutely. I mean, the Seattle Times' Mike Rosenberg had actually a really interesting tweet. He said, this is going to increase jobs in New York by 0.2%, if it goes there, and in D.C. by 0.8%. So these are already two wealthy cities, two of the richest places on Earth that don't need this. And you're right, this began as a big nationwide search. Cities, they offered billions in taxpayer subsidies. They came forward with these incredibly elaborate applications that let Amazon in on all of their hopes and dreams, what, what they plan to build, what highways they plan to build. And now Amazon is picking, you know, not only the most predictable guys, but also they're walking away with this incredibly granular economic development database of every major metro area, you know, in in North America.
0: That's a really interesting point about the data that Amazon's been able to collect. So I have to ask, and, and there's no way to know this for sure, but give me your gut. From your perspective, was Amazon basically taking people for a ride, A, to get the data, and B, to get really good PR?
1: My gut says yes. You had a piece, I think, right after this came out where you called this Jeff Bezos brilliant publicity stunt. And it seemed that the search itself now more and more seems like it was about politics.
0: Let me actually ask about politics. So you have a piece yesterday that we posted on Axios that this is, at least as a secondary benefit here, aimed at helping Amazon with potential antitrust or other regulation issues going forwards.
1: Absolutely. We've already got about 100 full-time lobbyists here. The president's rhetoric on Amazon has been, you know, he's, he said that he wants to look very seriously at taking antitrust action. Jonathan Swan has reported that the president hates Amazon. And I think that Moving to D.C., if you're the local boy, you know, Scott Galloway always says Jeff Bezos is going to throw the first pitch at the Nationals opening game, and who's going to regulate the guy who throws that pitch? I think that's absolutely true. I think having uh, not only, you know, running in the same circles as these regulators, you, you might be going to the same PTA meetings, your kids are going to the same schools. Once you're in town, I think they have real potential to dial back that threat of being broken up. And, uh, you know, it, it is definitely real with AWS and the retail business.
0: From your perspective, is it possible, because you also floated the Idea at least that Amazon, when it comes to antitrust, Amazon could be proactive on this and it could split itself into two on its own. That it could split the AWS, the cloud business, off from the retail business.
1: Right to, to get eyes off of it, it could split their cloud business and their retail business, and it would be an uneven split. You know, people have said it's, it's going to be 400 billion is going to be the valuation of the retail business, and then 600 billion is going to be the cloud business, and so that presents some problems for Amazon. It's one reason it's an incredibly strong retailer is because it's Using you know the high profits of AWS to subsidize the lower margin retail business, but I think Jeff Bezos has said himself, regulations whatever they may be, Amazon is inventive enough that it'll probably be able to push through.
0: Again, the, the idea of multiple headquarters is weird because headquarters is a singular thing. You know, it's the leader, it's the headquarters, and now there's going to be three of them apparently, and not even like you know main office in Europe or Asia. They're all in the same country. Do we have any idea? Assuming these are the locations, who's going to lead the office in Crystal City? Who's going to lead it in? lead it in? Long Island City and what those job titles really are going to be. And I don't mean the office manager, but I mean the C-suite sort of person.
1: You know, I haven't seen reporting on that. I wouldn't be surprised if you had someone like Jay Carney leading the D.C. operation. And I'm not sure on New York, but I think that, you know, the bottom line here, and we saw this on Twitter yesterday, is that they're not opening two more headquarters. They're opening two more offices in actually two of the places that already have biggest presences of Amazon outside of Seattle.
0: Well, and maybe, you know, you talked about how they needed local talent and didn't want to have to recruit. I will say, I think recruiting to Crystal City and Long Island City is a bit of a stretch. So I, I guess <laughs> you do need the people in-house. Erica Pandia. Axios reporter, thank you so much for joining us. My final two right after this. Axios chief technology correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up is Facebook, which today released an independent 60-page assessment of its role in a genocide in Myanmar, where the social network admits it didn't do enough to, quote, avoid being used to foment division and incite offline violence. It also says it now has 99 native Myanmar speakers on staff to moderate content, up from just a small handful beforehand. The big question now is if Facebook will effectively follow through on its pledge to work more closely with human rights and other organizations inside of the country where it has around 20 million users across all of its platforms, including things like WhatsApp. Now, this could include another independent audit ahead of Myanmar's 2020 elections, which was recommended by today's assessment, but Facebook hasn't yet said whether or not it will order one. And finally, about 1,100 employees of a Massachusetts pizza chain called Papageno's lost their job on Sunday, many of them finding out through signs on the door when they showed up to work. Now, this came just before the chain, owned since 2005 by a private equity firm called Bunker Hill Capital, filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. In short, it was a pretty classless way to conduct business. So sure, the company had a likely buyer out of bankruptcy, which would have made it hard to keep money-losing stores open even a minute longer. Plus, Papageno's was about to surrender a bunch of leases and didn't want to tip off the sure-to-be-pissed-off landlords. But as I wrote today in the Pro Rata newsletter, they could have figured out some way to warn employees particularly minimum wage employees living paycheck to paycheck. When private equity wonders, and they do wonder this a lot, why it has such a rotten reputation, it should remember situations like Papagino's. And we're done. Big thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Grassi and Tim Shovers, have a great midterm elections day. And we'll be back tomorrow extra early with another Pro Rata podcast.